Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Carlsbad podcast. Today's message was taken from our 10 a.m. service. If you'd like to join us in person, you can get more info at our website at calvarycarlsbad.com. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. So, uh, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and he's on a mission. He is on a mission. He knows exactly why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and it's being be really clear here. Jesus has told people he's the Messiah. He's mentioned it, but he's usually like, be quiet. <laughs> Don't say, or he'll answer it. If they'll ask him, he'll be like, yeah, I'm him. And they like get freaked out. But this is going to be like uh, out in the open for everyone to see. And this will start the process of his death. Him, him coming into the Jerusalem like this is going to be the start of his death. And so he's on a mission. He knows it's time and he knows like, here we go, it's starting. So what does he, he do? He, he comes in and he sent two of his disciples. So he uses two of his disciples and sends them ahead. And I think this is really important that like God from the very beginning, we talk about this often, desires to use people. He desires to use us. This was the original idea of creation was man and God walking together, man being able to rule and reign and do well with what he's been given because of his relationship with God. And we see what happens when our relationship with God goes off or astray. We like lose it. What happens? Destruction. We lose our collective like soul, our conscience. And it's wild because we think, that can't be. That's like back in the day, man. These people, we have gotten to such a better place. And yet we look at the world we're living in right now and the most, uh, you know, a lot of times the most intelligent, so to speak, people are doing, are coming up with crazy ideas sometimes that are anti-life giving, you know? Like where we're looking around at us and we're, we're looking around for hope and we're thinking, oh, we can solve it. Oh, we can come up with a solution. But we're not bringing any solutions to the table. In fact, the things that we propose are actually making things worse. And so as our soul has left, so what, as soon as Jesus is, uh, I mean, as soon as man sinned, what happened? I mean, it didn't take long before we had our first murder, right? And it didn't take much longer past that before it was like everyone was crooked. It's amazing how far and how fast we can get off when we lose our relationship with the Lord. As soon as we lose our, our hearts towards being, and don't we know this, man, do we know this or what? But the idea is that God always intended to use and work through and with mankind. And so that's why a lot of the issues we have, some of our big questions towards God. Why, God, why do you allow bad things to happen in the world? God, why don't you just intervene and zap everyone that's bad? You know, that's kind of like our mentality. Just zap them, you know, like he's just. Why don't you just come in and fix everything? Well, it's because God is long-suffering and patient and because you would have been zapped potentially a couple of years ago or months ago. Like, you know, it's like, sounds really good until you realize you're one of them. So we recognize that God is moving and working and he's so patient and so long-suffering and he continues to use man. He continues to try to use us, right? So what happens? Everything's crooked, everything's corrupt. He says, Abraham, you're my guy, <laughs> 
I'm going to make a nation out of you and I want to bless you and I want you to look different than everybody else and you guys are going to be loyal. You're going to be full of trust. You're going to be full of faith. You're going to go out and you're going to do justice and righteousness. You're going to do things right. You're, I'm going to give you a land. You'll be set apart. I will take care of you. I will bless you. I will give you descendants. Great. The children of Israel are born. And what's, what's God's plan? To use people. Well, how does that go? Well, eventually we find ourselves in trouble yet again. And so they're enslaved and in Egypt and what God uses Moses and they bring them out of the promise, I mean, out of Egypt and uh, with the hopes of eventually entering into the promised land. And at Mount Sinai, he sets up a new thing. This is how you will be distinct. This is how you will look different from all other peoples. This is how I will bless you. Don't let any of the world in and I will blow your minds with my faithfulness. I will blow your minds with my great, what I will give you. You will be blown away. By the way, I'll lead you with fire and a cloud, and I will feed you bread that falls from heaven. You stoked? How about water that comes out of a rock? I've got you. Well, what ends up happening, of course, we know, unbelief, all this and that. And God's like, ah, right? Joshua, they eventually enter the promised land doesn't take too long before we find ourselves in trouble again. They're heaping for themselves a king. They want a king. God's like, I'm the one that you want ruling you. I'm the one that you want to be guiding your directions. If you get a king, he will do whatever he wants to do. And man does not do good without any accountability. Amen. Absolute cr power corrupts. Absolutely. And we see it from the best of men to the worst of men. They all end up in the same place eventually. We need accountability and we need to keep our eyes on God who can see much better and higher than us because, man, it's so easy to seek our own, especially when there's no one stopping you. And so, you know, God raises up David and David's the next in the line of covenants. We have this Davidic covenant and it's the king that eventually the Messiah will come from the line of David. Going back, it was Judah's line that would come through and Judah, that's a wild story. I mean, in the middle of... Um, the Joseph story, we have Judah. And it's like, what in the world do you do with Judah's story? You read that and you're like, what? Like, this is the guy? But you see at the end, he recognizes and repents and he becomes usable again by God. This is the pattern. Hey, if you leave behind your idols, and you leave behind the old and you come and follow me, I can rebuild with whatever you give me. If you come, I will rebuild with you. Boy, we need this message or what? That personally and as a whole, as a people, as a whole, we need this. We need this to be true. So God uses people. That's the point I want to use, okay? Or, or point that I feel, think is, you know, is part of this. He sent two of his disciples. Two of his disciples, by the way, good point. He doesn't usually use just one. It's usually more than one when he sends them out. So he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as, as soon as you have entered it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. Okay, so he sends them in to go steal a colt, basically. <laughs> what was a colt? What were they used for? A don or a donkey? What were they used for? You know, they have them. They would be able to move people, transportation. They were very useful, uh, and so. You go in and get a donkey. So go get the donkey. My first car was a 1978 Dodge Colt. You can look it up, you know. It started on fire twice. Yeah. 
first time wasn't enough. We needed it to happen twice. Um, yeah, the first time we were at my grandma's house and we were working on it, and all of a sudden, boom, it starts on my fire. My dad puts it out with a hose. The second time I was at the library and uh, somebody said, hey, someone's car's on fire. And I'm like, that's mine. So I walk out and it was dripping fire, gas, just, you know, that's mine. It had like a boil mark on the hood from the paint. So it's not that kind of a cult. But you think about something that would be able to move people and be used for work. This is stealing someone's truck, okay? You're going to go out and steal someone's truck. And um, when they ask you about it, and they probably will, they're brand new one, by the way, never been driven. Um, Tell them the Lord needs it. So these guys are called into the plan of what God's doing. And what's interesting is I don't think anyone in this story has any idea. Those who are the disciples, because they don't see it until later. Those who are praising, we'll see in a minute, the Hosanna people, they have no clue what's going on right now. None of them have any clue, but they're still a part of what God's doing. Isn't that a blessing to know you don't have to have a clue of what God's doing to still be a part of what it is? And you know how, how that works out? It's just obedience. Like I play my part. You ask me to do something, I do it. You know what that means when you obey someone? It means that the person that's telling you to do it, you trust is able to give you good advice, give you good directives, and what they say will come to pass. This is kind of a big deal to go and steal a donkey. So what do they do? They go. Or, or well, I guess we'll, let's not move on too fast here, but the idea is that they're, they're, they're going to go do it. They're going to be a part of this. God uses man. And so like when we look at the world and we talk about how there's evil and all this and that, I think God wants to use his people as part of the solution. So if we're constantly like, God, fix it all. He's like, you're part, you're how I do it. You're the people I use. Look around, what all the great revivals, all the great movements of God, every time that God would do, how did he do it? He used people. He put it on their hearts. He directed them. They obeyed. And then the, the fruit so often blew the minds of the people that were involved in it. Right? If you were to watch like the Jesus revolution and it's like, did anybody have any clue what was going to come out of that? It's like, no, there's some hippies here. They need some help. Help them out. Here's an opportunity. And I've heard it's not exactly accurate, you know, all that. I get it. But the fact of the matter is, is that there was a ministry done to a group of people that were being largely ignored and thought that there was no possible hope in. And now the movement we're even a part of is the fruit of that movement. It's like 1,800 churches. Wild. Who could possibly know? You don't have to know. And by the way, it's like, how, who could plan for something like that? You don't have to. Deal with the person in front of you. You never know what will happen next. Just do the thing I've told you to do. He's patiently working with us. The idea of covenant, we're talking about Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, which is the law, the Davidic covenant, which is the king coming. And we're going to see that here. The covenant is God working with people. I'm going to work with you. What's marriage? A covenant. I'm going to work with you. What, how does marriage work when you're not working together? Not well, right? And you could go, God, why isn't my marriage good? Are you working together to make it better? Are you helping each other? Do you see the flaws and then help 
Or do you see the flaws and go, mm-hmm, that's what I thought. You're a sinner. And you're like, yeah, no, duh. And they know it about you too. How do we work together in covenant relationship? So there's partnership. God wants to work in partnership with us. And ministry as a whole is just service. They're being part of the ministry that God's doing by serving him. So that's why it's a really good idea to be involved in ministry in some way, shape, or form. Because serving helps us to get our eyes off of ourselves. And that's a major problem in our world that we're living in right now. Narcissism is a major issue. So serving's a big way to counteract that. I'm gonna serve, and that means I'm putting myself on the side to bless someone else. Ministry is service. And so now we're living in the church age, and we are the church, and we get to go out and be a part of making a difference everywhere we go. This is what the church does. So we see the world around us, we go, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, right? I see that. But what's our place? We're the light bearers. We're the salt. We go out. And you might go, you say this every week. Yes. I think we need to be reminded of this every single week. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, he's overall. He uses people. He uses his church. We are how he does it. What's, how's the church defined? Christ is the head. We're the body parts that make it happen, right? He's the head. He's guiding. He's directing. We all have different parts and places in ministry. He makes provision, but he asks us to see if we'll listen to him and follow him by faith. So he's saying to the disciples, go steal this donkey. And when someone asks you about it, tell them it's going to be okay. By the way, is that a comfortable situation? No, that's not a comfortable situation. All you got to do is go over here and do this and then bring it back. Have you ever had a friend or something say, hey, go over to that, go, uh, go to my aunt's house. It's cool, dude. She's not there, but like there's a key and open the door and then you'll see, just go inside and grab the thing. You're like, no, this is like, this is how you go to jail, man. Like she's not there and maybe, and she is going to be cool with this and she doesn't know, just tell her. And it's like, oh my gosh. So it's an uncomfortable situation. But life and growth is always uncomfortable. Jesus asks you to do something, do it, and you'll see he provides. He's also saying, I've got provision. Verse four, so then, so they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? You feel like the, the like cold, you know, like goosebumps, you know, stop in your tracks. What did they do? They spoke to him just as Jesus has commanded. So they let him go. Um, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Um, so what happens? They're told to do something. What do they do? They do it. Do they run up against adversity? Yes. What happens? They just do what Jesus says. And what ends up, he takes care of it, right? I think we think about impossible situations where it's like the only possible way that, that this could go is I've got to give in. It's like God will understand. I think about in the time of captivity, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We may burn, but we will not bow. Yeah, you know what? People were burning for not bowing. There was a potential for that. What's it, what ends up happening? They say, we might burn. We're not going to bow. They endure. They go through it. Why? Because they chose obedience to the Lord over any other thing. What about their buddy Daniel? Same thing. He's in there sleeping with the lions, just chilling out. How cool is that? You know, I want a pet lion. I remember when I was a kid, people had pit bulls and Rottweilers. It's like, I want a lion, dude. You just roll up with a chain and a lion, you know. That's my park now, you know. Like, <laughs> I've got a lion here, you know. Nobody's, I'm not scared of your dog. So this, this, is, this is like obedience met. Now, what happens when God puts you, asks for obedience in a situation that's uncomfortable, that would not be your natural inclination? What happens when you obey and then you see him follow through? What, what's, the, what's that produce? Anyone? God's glorified, right? What else? What goes up? Faith. Our faith is, boom, risen. Why? Because he came through. We trust him. And now all of a sudden, our life aligns a little bit more with him. And we go, whoa, what else do you want me to do? <laughs> that was awesome. What else could I do? Let's charge it, you know? One of the beautiful things of having children is you see them overcome obstacles. And what I've found is a lot of times when they overcome one, they're ready to overcome like five. You go, dude, just trust me. If you do this, if you, if you do it right, you're going to jump this thing. It's like, whoop. And all of a sudden it's like, let's do the bigger ones. You're like, hold on. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, what have I done? I've like, you know, I made a liability here from adding some faith into the situation. Or when Canada was learning to skate, it was like the tiniest like drop in. And all of a sudden it's like, no, I think I could do the bigger one. No, I think I could do the bigger one. Uh, I think I could do the, and it's like, it becomes like, oh, I got to do it. I want to do it. I want to charge it. And that's like us with the Lord, as we see him be faithful, it inspires more faith. But how do we, ex how do we grow in our faith without exercising our faith? How do we grow in anything without exercising it? It's all part of the process. What do they say it takes to become like um, a master? Remember the hour rule? 10,000 hours? That's a lot. You're like, I thought it would happen in one. I'm give up. I'm just not good at this. That's not true. Like you just like, we, it's just because we give up. And so we continue to walk by faith. And so they're able to see, he follows through. First of all, you find the cult there. You're like, whoa, wild. Then you grab it and they say something and you tell them, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus needs it. And they're like, cool. And they let him go. Wow, so cool. That's what God wants to do with us. Isn't that exciting? And so you might go, well, God's not telling me to do anything with a cult. He's telling you a lot, though. <laughs> There's a lot of things he's asking for us to obey. How, we'll start with the scriptures. He's not going to go outside of that. And then there's going to be specific things where you know you're supposed to do something. I know I'm supposed to do that thing. I know I'm supposed to minister to that person. I know I'm supposed to talk to them. I know I'm supposed to bring a meal to those people. As soon as we obey, we see God be faithful. And it blows our mind. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. That's ready for him to ride it. And he sat on it. This is like a royalty situation here. 
and spread their clothes on the road. And others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So this is Zechariah 9.9. This is fulfillment of a, from Zechariah, one of the minor prophets. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Uh, so here he is, fulfilling prophecy yet again. His life was full of fulfilled prophecies. Easy to see. Donkey, okay? Because we think of donkeys and we think, ah, it's not that cool. Donkeys were used with royalty. Uh, what's unique about a donkey uh, is that it was a symbol of peace. So when a king would come in, there was like a symbol of peace. Like that there's, this is, this is bringing peace. And what do we know Jesus as? The Prince of Peace. And this is a sign, even from that prophecy, it's a sign of what he's coming. He's coming to bring salvation and he's coming to bring peace. Peace between us and God. What good news is this? Now, the people we're going to see in a second here that are praising him, they're not looking for a peace. They actually want the war horse. They want to see Jesus coming in on a war horse, like, let's get it, let's get down to it. Why? They're under heavy Roman persecution. And so it's easy for us to think, ah, whatever, no big deal. Do you understand the, the taxation and the I mean, they had like, they had like lost their identity. They're just like, they're freaking out. And so they're, they want to be freed. And so people are hoping that Jesus is going to be the war horse type king. And he's the donkey peace bringing king, the one who brings salvation. And so all those, not most of those who are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, are going to be the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him five days later. Wild. So Jesus is establishing something different. His kingdom is upside down. This is not the way you think it's going to go. I mean, namely in the fact that the, the one who's doing this, the leader, will be crucified. He will be killed. I mean, what, who wants your leader to be killed before it seems like it even starts? The rule. Within a week, he's gone but it's an upside down kingdom. And, and he needed to die so that we could live. What we're going to see is just like that donkey was part of God's provision. All of this is part of God's provision. And as dark as it looked, there was a plan. There was something coming. And so his disciples are going to need to remember these things moving forward because then they will be called, many of them, to give their own lives and they need to know it's not for no nothing. That there's a purpose behind all of it. So can I encourage you with something this morning? If you're going through something, uh, I don't think it's like God just wants to bring all this pain into your life, but I do believe that he's going to use it for a purpose, that he's going to do something with it if we remain faithful and continue to follow him and give him time to work it out. So God is over it all, working in and through it all. Think about how much of a master he is at, at, at working things together to use a mankind who is constantly turning their back on him. And he's like, I still want to use you. I still like, I still want to do this with you guys. I still want to use you. And really what we look at the new heaven, the new earth is like the culmination of all of it. We're in it. We're literally like 
no more sin, no more death. We're there. Like this is the end. Right now we're in the already not yet. Jesus is starting that kingdom, that upside down kingdom. We, where do we see that? Sermon on the Mount, totally different thinking. It's like, what in the world are we doing here? This is the kingdom Jesus is bringing. No one wants to hear that though when they're oppressed. They don't want to hear that. You know, it's like, hey, oh man, this kid's been picking on me the whole time. You know, you finally get the big brother in there. Him? He did this? Dude, you got to love your enemies. <laughs> no, you're supposed to blast him. That's why I brought you here. Yeah, that's not how that's going to work. Yeah, you, you might win this battle, but you might find yourself in way more battles down the road. And it certainly won't solve anything. If you gain him as a brother, everything's going to change. So what Jesus is doing is he's opening up a new way. And they do not like it. The clothes on the ground was honoring this victorious king. And then we see them putting the leafy, the palm fronds. This is, a, this is symbolic. This is like the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40, it says, you shall take on the first day the bows of goodly trees, goodly, nice, branches of palm trees and bows of thick trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So there's, there's an honoring that the king is here. They, they believe potentially he's the Messiah, but as soon as they don't get the kingdom they want, the results they want, they will turn on Jesus. How often does this happen? I want my Jesus my way. What have we been learning in Hebrews? The high priest was set apart by God for a purpose. And if you don't go through the high priest, you don't go at all. This is the only way. And then Jesus, as our great high priest, compassionate, full of mercy, is the only way. And when we say, no, 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 we need, we need choices. We, we got to be able to do it the way we want to do it. I don't like that Jesus. I don't like that you say he's the only. This is, this is a way that a benevolent God has made for us. And so when we say, no, mm -mm, not that kind of Messiah, no. Because at first they're like, okay, let's go. Let's take this place. We're, let, we're coming, let's go. We're, we're taking it back, the land. And they're like, no, that's not what's going to happen. They're like, well, then let's crucify this guy. He is not the God of our making. See how easy it is to slip into idolatry? I mean, how easy is it? Oh, yeah, dude, I totally love the Bible. I want to obey, but I don't like that verse. I don't like what that implies. I'm just going to kind of ignore it. Right. We all do that to some extent, right? We're being honest. We go, man, I am just, for whatever reason, that is one I'm not. Just, I like, it's a blind spot or something. But what ends up happening when that becomes bigger and bigger, which it usually does, now it's the gospel according to Chris. And I start, my Bible's got pages missing and crossed out. And, I've, and then I've stapled in some new pages of what I think that the Jesus I would had hope he would be like. This is progress. This is like a lot of like the, the pastor, pastors that are like not, they don't believe in the word of God anymore. They say, yeah, well, I think we misunderstood everything. 
And I don't think he really even said those things. I'm not sure. And so we go, man, what, well, then what is it? Well, I don't know. I just don't feel like any of this is right. Okay. These people didn't feel like any of this is right. And what did it lead them to do? Some really, really bad things. I mean, I, who knows? I think probably a lot of these people might have turned again. We don't fully know. Who knows? These people made up the church or not, you know, from that point on. So we have the palm fronds or the palms. We have the willows. So palms are like, it's like this triumphant, like great, awesome. In a sense, the willows is like uh, sorrowful. That's kind of like what's about to happen. Get the suffering servant spoken of in Isaiah. And he's coming and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. And it's not lost on him. He's not like, oh, good thing I don't feel any pain since I'm God. Like he's agonizing over what is to come, but he does it out of obedience. What's the fruit of obedience? Oh my goodness. Look, blows our mind. We had no idea. Then those who went before him and those who followed uh, cried saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father, David, uh, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, the fact that some of these people turned on him did not change the fact that they fulfilled prophecy here. God could use you either way. And you don't have to know what's going on to be, in a sense, used in that way. Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26 says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. That's what uh, Hosanna is, save now. Save now. Hosanna, uh, verse 26 of 118, Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Save now. Save now. And he is going to save now. But it's so much better than what they were thinking. So we have this, yeah, the branches and, and what is the procession of a king. Um, they're hoping this is going to be like a Judas Maccabeus situation again, where they can, um, you know, restore worship and things back to the way that it was and, and you know, regain their place. But they didn't know what was going on. They were absolutely accomplishing God's will. By the way, God will use whatever he needs to accomplish his will. It's like when, when Judas is used, manipulated and swindled to, to go after Jesus and to you know, betray him, leading to his death. He, he was inadvertently leading to the death of, of Satan himself. Like God will use it all if we allow him and we give him place in our life. Lord, you can work it all out. So here's, here's, here's kind of like the picture. We're, we're gonna, we have another verse here. But is God wants to use us right now, right here, where we're at, and it will be through obedience. Now, we don't want to become discouraged and think, man, I've already blown it. I'm already out. I've already made so many mistakes. I don't think I could be used anymore. If we look at church history and we look at the, the Bible, we're going all the way back to the Old Testament, God is so quick to forgive and to start anew. I mean, look at his relationship with the children of Israel. Like, if you turn, I will heal you. If you turn, I will fight for you. If you respond, 
I will blow your mind with my faithfulness. I don't need resources like you do. I just need you. I just want you. And so we don't want to become overwhelmed like, oh my goodness, I've blown it so many times. Oh, I've been thinking all this stuff. No, like let this awaken us, our senses to the fact that God can do really cool things with people that trust him. And so if we've had a, nothing but a lifetime of disobedience, obedience today will lead to fruit tomorrow. Not exactly tomorrow, but you'll see it. We'll see God be faithful. And I think that part of what, what's going on in the world where largely we've just kind of like said, this whole God thing is like not what's up, is we've reaped the fruit of this is what happens when you completely ignore him the one you're created to serve, the one you're created to be connected with, the one who brings, like, you know, works on the hearts of men and gives you a conscience and all these things. But just as quickly as we turn, he can do something just as miraculous, just as amazing. I think that's why a lot of times we see him do revivals in really gnarly bad people from the outside looking in. Because they're full of, they just like, I am desperate. I need you, God. I need you to do something. And he's like, oh, I could do something. Let me show you something. So we turn and we go, now I, I was in disobedience. Now I obey. And Jesus went into Jerusalem, verse 11, and into the temple. So we had looked around at all things as the hour was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12. He saw the state of the temple and its leaders. He saw what was going on around him. And he knew what was coming. He knew what this week was all about. And so what does he do? He goes and he prepares for the final week of his life. And as he's preparing for the final week of his life, no one understands it's also the final week of sin and death reigning. From this point on, there will be a different kingdom. There will be a different thing. There will, we will no longer be stuck in our sin and death. This will be the death to death. And, then, and so as, as it's tied in so often, can I get an amen on this? So often when we're in pain and struggle, when we're going through it, that's when God works and brings life. Just on the verge of death is where he seems to show up and bring life. So as we see it in Jesus, so is it true with us, Right? I can't think of a lot, like a lot of fruit when everything's perfect and peachy. It's like, okay, everything's good, but there's something about when God is working in the midst of darkness and hardness and gnarliness in your life. He meets us there, and then he shows the world that he can bring life from death. And that, because that's what he did. That is the gospel message, that Jesus came and conquered sin and death, and then he became alive again. Oh, such good news. So a couple points to think about. One, God wants to use man. It was his plan. It, it, it continued to be his plan. It is his plan. It will be his plan in the future. He's overall, we're not in charge, but there is a direct correlation to faithfulness of men and the way things go in people's cities and families and homes. And there's a diff there is something to that, right? He makes a way for what he wants to do. He provides. Our God provides. He brings about provision, even when it doesn't make any sense. That was part of the Abrahamic righteousness. He believed God, even when it made no sense. Hey, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. He's like, I'm 90. Well, we'll wait till you're 100. 
And Abraham's like, it's not happening. What is going on? They still, he still trusted him. He believed him. It was accounted to him as righteousness. So he makes a way. He provides uh, when he says he's going to. He's establishing a higher kingdom. We can't look to change this world's king. It's, this is not where our battle is. Just like our battle, it's not against flesh and blood. There's spiritual stuff going on. And spiritual wars must be fought with spiritual weaponry. Guys who are part of the men's league, we've been talking about this. <laughs> and then lastly, nothing is wasted. None of this will be wasted. God is taking it all in and he's redeeming it all for his glory. Man, what a good God to follow. A benevolent, all-knowing, all-powerful God that does not waste. He does not miss a thing. So we're really excited about this week. I hope you're excited too. Um, we're having an opportunity to have communion Uh this morning, we're also going to have it on Good Friday, uh, another time to really sit and think. But I think it's a good way to start the week, uh, going into this Holy Week or this Passion Week, where we're reminded of what Jesus did. And the, not just to feel sad about it and sorry for it, that's a good thing, but to be reminded that it was love that nailed him to the cross and that that was not the end. So we, we carry a cross with us and that's good. It reminds us of, of where sin was defeated, but then he rose again. So we find new life as we take on the blood and we take on the, the body of Jesus as we, as we you know, partake. Remembering what he's done, it awakens us to the fact that we really are dead to sin, dead to our old former selves, and we're made new and alive in Christ. Such good news. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more info on the church or ministries we offer, head over to calvarycarlsbad.com. Thank you, and God bless.